0: God can help you So what God does he helps. tell me I didn't God help my innocent friend who died for no reason while well, the guilty roamed free? okay fine forget the one-offs about the countless wars declared in his name okay fine. Let's skip the random, meaningless murder for a second, shall we? How about the racist, sexist, phobia soup we've all been drowning in because of him? And I'm not just talking about Jesus. I'm talking about all organized religion. Exclusive groups created to manage control a dealer getting people hooked on the drug of hope. His followers, nothing but addicts who want their hit of bullshit to keep their, their dopamine of ignorance. Addicts afraid to believe the truth, that there's no order, there's no power, that all religions are just metastasizing mind worms meant to divide us so it's easier to rule us by the charlatans that want to run us. All we are to them are, are paying fanboys of their poorly written sci-fi franchise. <laughs> if I don't listen to my imaginary friend, why the fuck should I listen to yours? People think they're worship some key to happiness. That's just how he owns you. David, I'm not crazy enough to believe that distortion of reality. So fuck God. He's not a good enough scapegoat for me.
1: Welcome everybody to AM Bite. Welcome to AB Live. I hope you're doing better than Johnny Meatsack or at least reaching the heights that he has once he woke up. And so glad to see everybody on this Mercury Day. This uh is actually our, my second live show today and it's been exciting. Great show this morning on American Noses, and today will be truly truly a memorable show because our guest always brings down the Archon house. Yes, my name is Miguel Connor, and is your pompous of noses and often a Johnny Meatsack too. And with us, it's always a pleasure to have back Esoteric Eddie. Eduardo Cano, ¿cómo estás? Y un placer verte otra vez.
2: Hey, estoy bien, estoy bien. Gracias. Glad to be here. Glad to see y'all. Thank oh, you for having right me.
1: Definitely, definitely, definitely. It is truly mutual, and with us too, we've got the Moon Dog, the Vance Meat sack. How are you doing, Vance?
3: Ah, oh, rushing to the finish line. Finally got here on time, but barely. <laughs> so, a little rattled.
1: Sometimes it happens, yeah, yeah. Especially in this world. What are you gonna it's live, do? Live, you know. <laughs> it's not Memrix. <laughs> <laughs> Showing our age. My God, we show our age. Funny how these iconic... Talk about the brainwashing, these iconic advertisements. Oh, advertisements stay just stay in our head forever, forever. Yeah. The stup- and the stupid commercial jingles. Jesus Christ. Anyway, great to be here. Oh, great to be- it is great to be here as we deal with one of the big bad wolves of the esoterica. And that is Mr. Moloch, and Eddie's uh, research is always right on. Always very is very impartial, very scholarly, but he always goes to different. uh, He covers different places, including occult and mystical arenas so what made you uh have you been researching moloch or is he just part of your grab bag of lucifer i know not you know where where you're (laughs) always knee knee deep in uh, eddie
2: oh yeah man i mean I've, i've been fascinated with the topic of moloch since the beginning of my entire uh research journey and actually I don't know if you know this, but I, I've also been a music artist on and off throughout my life and I've, I've had a, a, a life as a hip hop artist and the, my first rap name ever was actually MC Moloch when I was, <laughs> uh, when I was in middle school.
1: Uh, uh-huh. did um, you even know or it just sounded cool back then?
2: <laughs> I mean, I knew a little bit. Me and my friends were like starting to get into to like researching and, you know, watching videos and stuff and so I was just fascinated with like I don't know the idea of it. I thought it was crazy. I think I first heard about it through Alex Jones and you know, as a rapper and as a young person, you just try to be provocative, so I thought it would be a cool name.
1: Yeah, I think mine I was young and back in the days of uh stranger things the 80s playing Dungeons and Dragons and I had like the players handbook and we were playing and then I turned on the TV and some like fundamentalist preacher was going people who play Dungeons and Dragons are going to go to hell. Don't you see that's Moloch on the cover and I was like, "What? That's not in the book." I mean, of <laughs> course it was Moloch when you look back when you start doing some research, but the you know the game is about fighting evil things, right? Demogorgon, uh, and stuff. So.
2: Okay. Yeah. So yeah. my my internet's lagging a little bit, so I don't know if it's showing on your side or not, but
1: I don't think so. If it continues, all you need to do is maybe turn off your camera and go dark. And but uh, I, it seems fine on my end. Yeah, I don't see a yeah.
2: problem. Okay. All right. But well, yeah, let's, um,
1: um, let's jump into it for those of you in the chat. As always, please super chat questions or complaints or whatever, or any insults you want towards me. That's fine. And we, Vance, will try to get to them as they're separate, or we will get to them. But again, it helps to be separated. Um, I think uh, it should go well. Last week, uh, the chat just uh, devolved into the Chatico very fast. So hopefully today, people will will behave. There were some arguments today in the live uh, interview, and I had to call some people out, but what are you going to do, right, Vince?
3: Yep, it happens, you know, depends on what's going on, who's on, and who's trying to rattle our cage.
1: Who's on first, who's on second. That Which
3: Archons are on duty that day, you know. Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
1: but there's always good conversations and good remarks uh you guys there in the chat and in the audience you know your stuff and it's always great to learn from you so well you want to get started uh, eddie or do you want to start with some flowery introduction call to action uh, fight song or should we just i think
2: it's gonna be too long of a presentation but definitely a lot of detailed information we'll go through so i'm okay with getting started
1: all right well do your share screen and i will throw you up on the screen and you can take over you'll have complete control this
3: time you're not going to tell us he's a good guy are you <laughs> yeah, sweet maybe. nice we, we should all maybe. worship him and stuff you know send, the, send <laughs> the kids up through his mouth and all that he, he works
1: for <laughs> kaiser soze uh, <laughs> all
3: right
2: now um no you're good you're good yeah it's it's definitely a twist though i mean uh it's a lot. Of, I, I found out a lot of interesting information, as I usually do when I set off on these like research journeys. Um, let me see here. But yeah, as you were saying, uh, or as you asked earlier, it's been a topic uh, that I've been meaning to do for quite some time, you know. Um, and I knew that when I dove into it, when I decided to do- dive into it, that I was going to find out a lot of stuff that I didn't know before, as I usually do. But the stuff that I learned was fascinating and I didn't had no idea that I was it was gonna lead to this conclusion really. Wow. But uh can you see can you see the PowerPoint there?
1: Yeah, let me put you on there. let can, me get is you it, live. Can you see it? Right now we're seeing yeah, that, now we see Moloch and Yahweh. There you go. You're moving it to the center. Okay. You got all right, it. all right. I don't
2: know. Cool, and you can know. stop you, you have the power jump. to stop it, right? If you want to jump in.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course.
3: Moloch and Yahweh, BFFs
2: forever. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> hey, Miguel, can right. you hear me?
1: Yeah, we can hear you.
2: Yeah. Okay, no, I was just wondering, do you have the power to stop to to stop the share and jump in if you wanted to, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, okay, or we'll, so we'll just I'll interrupt
1: sure. you. Yeah,
2: yeah. Okay, cool. All right, so um, yeah, Moloch and Yahweh, that's, that's the actual discussion here. And uh, again, like most of my presentations – there is a video version of this that you can find on my channel at esotericeddy.com. Um, all right, so all right, so so Moloch, right? So we've learned about Moloch primarily through the church and through the Bible. And so Moloch has been uh what's the word? He's been blamed, right, as being the god of child sacrifice. And we've been told by people like Alex Jones that the elite of our world sacrifice children still to this day to the god Moloch. And more Mm -hmm. specifically, Alex Jones was made famous um, by exposing the Bohemian Grove ritual in which he claimed that there was a ceremony surrounded by a a sacrifice to Moloch Mm -hmm. through the burning of a fake body uh, or what they say was a fake body. Now, after this research, I realized that Alex Jones was sort of worshiping Moloch. And if you, if you watch the actual video of the Bohemian Grove ritual, which I have on my channel also, you'll find that they don't mention Moloch at all throughout the entire ceremony or ritual. And the, the statue that they're praying to and, and doing the ritual to is this huge statue of a, uh, an owl no. And so by definition, that statue wouldn't be uh Moloch either because Moloch has always been deemed as uh, like a, like a bull, right? A bull statue, a bronze bull statue. And <clears throat> so by definition, they're not worshiping Moloch, but technically as we'll find, they, they were worshiping Moloch as we'll see. And, uh, We'll get to that later, but so um, was Moloch real, right? That's the question that I set out when I started this journey was what, what, what really is Moloch? Was he real? Was he really being worshipped? You know, what are the facts? And what I found is that there definitely was uh, ancient human and child sacrifice. And we know this because there are several accounts of this that come to us from um, ancient sources, credible sources, credible historians, um, one of those, uh, I have four of those uh, that we'll be briefly uh, reviewing, coming from Clytarchus, Diodorus of Greece, Tertullian, who was an early church Tertullian uh, traveler, or at 20th or 19th century traveler known as Robert Pashley. So I'll ha- I have four different sources that talk about this. And beginning with Clytarchus, we are told, Um, And again, Clytarchus is from the 4th century BC. So this is the oldest account. It's not the oldest, but it's the oldest that I'm going to be covering. So Clytarchus uh, said in one of his books, and I quote here, that there stands in their midst a bronze statue of Kronos, its hands extended over a bronze brazier, the flames of which engulf the child. When the flames Mm -hmm. fall upon the body, the limbs contract. And the open mouth seems almost to be laughing until the contracted body slips quietly into the brazier uh. And this this laughing was was a a thing that they called the sardonic laughter, and it became a term actually for some time in in, in the ancient uh, period. Um, well, I guess when the babies would be burned, that they're like their flesh would shrivel up and their mouths would create this weird gaping smile-looking thing, kind of like the Joker or something. And it was mm-hmm. called the the sardonic Smile." but yeah, that's coming from Clytarchus. and as we see, there definitely was a Molec, a Moloch-esque type ritual happening here, but again, there is no mention of Moloch. This was happening um, in regard to Cronus. And Diodorus Siculus come seen as we see here on the screen, um, pretty much saying the same thing. He says there was a city and there was was in their city a bronze statue of Cronus extending its hands, so on and so forth. The same exact thing coming to us a few hundred years later. And now Tertullian, who was one of the earliest uh, Christian writers, also writes about child sacrifice. And this is coming to us from the second century A.D. or Common Era. And he writes in what is known as the Tertullian Apology that there was child sacrifice taking place in Africa, specifically North Africa, which was a precinct not belonging to indigenous Africans, but a precinct belonging to uh, Phoenicians, uh, Phoenicians who had traveled, th- traveled there through the uh, empire expansion. And again, the child sacrifice that he explains had nothing to do with Moloch. He says that this sacrifice was being done to the god Saturn. Mm -hmm. And now Robert Pashley, he was a 19th century traveler, and he writes in his book, Travels in Crete, and I quote here, the traditions respecting Talos would alone lead us to suppose that Crete once possessed as its chief deity, a Moloch, horrid king, besmeared with blood of human sacrifice and parents' tears. And hundreds of years later, and by this point, you know, we we know who Moloch is. We understand the idea and the archetype in the Bible. So he but he was referring to uh, a Greek god known as Talos, who I also mentioned in the, in the documentary that I made. But we don't we won't cover that here. But Talos was another one of these strange deities that um, sacrifices were made to in ancient times. And he was also depicted as like a bronze um, bronze type man or statue. Um, but Robert Pasha here was making a correlation between Talos and the biblical Moloch. Now, um, let me get some water real quick. Uh, so the Bible and Gehenna. So Moloch, again, primarily comes from the Bible. And specifically, the worship of Moloch, as we're told in the Bible, comes from a very specific place in Jerusalem known as Gehenna. And, uh, Gehenna is actually this valley, as you see here in the background. It's this valley that, uh, in ancient times was used by these Moloch worshipers, um, to set their babies on fire or whatever and do these strange rituals. And, um, that valley known as Gehenna by the Greeks is known by, uh, the Jews as, as, um, I'm blanking here. It's, uh, I think Ben, Guy Ben-Henom, that's what it is. Gai Ben-Henom, which means Valley of the Son of Henom, which was just uh, translated as Gehenna later on by the Greeks. And this was a valley that once belonged to some guy named Henom, I guess, who sold it to his son, and we don't know anything about them. But in ancient times, people would come here, you know, Canaanites, Phoenicians, early Israelites, would come to this valley and worship Moloch. And this valley, actually, which is now a beautiful tourist site, ironically, is, <laughs> uh, is, is what Jesus would refer to whenever he spoke of hell. Mm-hmm. I have a whole other video on my channel about this titled Hell Isn't Real, which breaks down the the usage of the word hell and what Jesus was actually referring to. In the New Testament, whenever Jesus speaks about hell, he doesn't use the word hell. He, he, more, he uses the word Gehenna or guy mm-hmm. Ben-Henom, which is this valley here. So he was using this valley as reference to what life would be like for sinners in the afterlife. And again, that's a whole other conversation, but it's pretty fascinating. Jesus actually never, obviously never spoke of hell. He spoke about this valley in reference. And he also never said that people would be punished forever. He said that people would be destroyed forever, like the people, like the children who were destroyed in the fires in um, Gehenna, who were worshiping Moloch here in Gehenna, uh, would be put to death. So It was a very serious matter for Yahweh, for God. Now, again, so we have ancient evidence of ancient sacrifice taking place, human sacrifice, child sacrifice, but is there any evidence pointing to any of it at all being done in the name of Moloch? The Bible mm-hmm. tells us that it was being done in the name of Moloch and there was a strange bull deity or whatever but we haven't found that evidence yet or have we right so what evidence do we have um, in the 1920s there was a French team um, who was doing some research some archaeological research in uh, different sites belonging to the kingdom of Carthage or the Phoenicians. and um, in one site we found twenty thousand what are known as toffetes or Jars uh, filled with the remains of children.
1: Oh, good so, God! <laughs> or yeah. bad God? Bad God. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, man. Uh, yeah. So, beginning in the early 1920s, we've we've uncovered a lot of these ancient human sacrifice sites, now known as tof- now known as tofets. And in these tofets, in these g- ritual grave sites, we found jars full and full of of bones belonging to to babies and kids. And in total, as of right now, we've found nine tophets: three in North Africa, which again belong to the two in Sicily and four in Sardinia. So all of these are are uh, precincts of the of the Phoenician kingdom, and so all of this was being done by Phoenicians, or, or you know, a branch of the Canaanites. And Caitlin Ben Caitlin De Benedetto. Um, who is uh, a researcher who i reference in my documentary um, wrote an essay uh, a master thesis i believe essay for like the university of new york or something titled analyzing tofets did the phoenicians practice child sacrifice and in this essay she goes over uh, the data that was pulled from researching these tofets and they were trying to, they were questioning you know whether or not these these ceremonial grave sites um, belong to ritual sacrifice, or whether they were just normal grave sites, you know what was the case.
0: Right.
2: And in order to find out if these bones, if these babies were were ritually sacrificed, they had to examine the bones and see if there was any any evidence of them being um, put up against really high heat or put into really high heat. And so when they examined the bones and teeth belonging to these tofets, they found that 87% of these people, um, at least their bones and their dead bodies, were exposed to heat above 700 degrees Celsius. Wow. Probably super, super hot. And what they also found was that there was a lot of grave jewelry found, uh, a lot of jewelry in these graves Found among the tophets, which was evidence pointing to uh, this being a ritual, right? There are are people giving up jewelry along with these bodies. So it was some sort of ritual. It meant it was some sort of a meaningful event for them. But even more damning than that is we've found inscriptions within these tophets, inscriptions on a lot of these jars. And uh, again, we don't find any mentions of Moloch but we do find mentions of other strange gods. In one of the the inscriptions, we read that the sacrifice was made to Sire Baal Haman, Lord of the Sky. I have dedicated Aris, son of Hannah, because you have heard my voice. And so these tofet's, The the conclusion of the Benedetto and a lot of other researchers is that these tofets were definitely ritual sacrifice sites where ancient people were were willingly sacrificing their children to gods, strange Phoenician and Babylonian gods. Now, where this gets even more complex is is uh, is the root word of Moloch. So Moloch of consonants. Right. Because the Hebrew language or the Hebrew language only deals with with consonants. They don't have any vowels. And so the root word for Moloch is where a lot of the the confusion comes from. The root word is MLK, Mulk or Mulk. Mm -hmm. And this root word can mean a lot of different things. It can mean Malek, Malik or Milcom, just for example. And those are a few that we're going to be going over in this presentation. And Malek, Malik, and Milcom are all royal titles. For example, um, King of Kings, as we call Jesus, uh, would be read in Hebrew as Melech, Malkai, Ha, and Malakim. All of those coming from the same root word um, that Moloch comes from. And this is also evident among other researchers, such as the work um, on Imperial and other titles by T.E. Colebrook in which he talks about the famous Saladin who bore the title of sultan as well as Malik. His full title, as it appeared on his coins, was the Malik, the defender of the faith. So, um, yeah, so we've seen, uh, we've seen different usages of this root word, mulk, throughout different eras and different cultures uh, in, in the ancient times. Now, <clears throat> the Bible primarily places Ammonites. The Ammonites are a strange people, and we're told in the Bible that they were descendants from an incestuous relationship between Lot, who is the nephew of Abraham, and Lot's daughter. Uh, So right off the jump, they were uh, pretty strange, (laughs) to say the least. Yeah,
1: well, that's still one of the best stories that – uh, Lot's daughters convinced him that the world had ended so they could sleep with him when they were in a cave. It's like you have to read it over and go, like, what is going on here?
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. That's probably why he started throwing them in the fire.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> has <the> bad girls. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so the Ammonites came out of that incestuous relationship, and there are some um, archaeological pieces of evidence for their actual existence. One of them being the Amman citadel inscription. And in this inscription, we find uh, uh, a strange, a strange, um, strange details having to do with the Ammonites constructing some building for their god Milcom, which again, ha- shares the same root word MLK as Moloch. Mm-hmm. And we've also found in, among uh, Ammonite sites, seals. Seals of kings containing theophoric names to Milcom, means may Milcom come. And uh, again, so we find Milcom among the Ammonites, but no Moloch. There's no mention of Moloch. So the Bible again is is, is you know gung ho or whatever of this Moloch character being real, but we have we haven't found any mentions of him among all this stuff. So why is that? It all has to do with this root word. And when we start to examine that root word, that's when it all starts to become a bit more clear and strange. All right. So what's even weirder is that although we know him as Moloch, he's he's not even called Moloch in the Old Testament. He's known as Molech in the Old Testament. Moloch is the Greek uh, version or translation of Molech. And so there is actually no Moloch by name. It's it's Molech if you want to be more uh, specific, more accurate. For example, in Leviticus 1821, as we see on the screen, you know, don't let your descendants pass through the fire to Molech. And there's a reason for this. Now, again, uh, in ancient times, Melech meant king. And the Ammonites and the Israelites use that same word, Melech, to refer to their God. And so to the Ammonites. And so they playfully changed the word, the Ammonite word Melech, the Ammonite usage of the word Malek to Molech. And they use the same O pronunciation that they use for their word boseth, which means shame. So the Hebrews, the, the, the writers of the Old Testament, again, as they have all throughout the, the book, playfully used uh, or, or used some wordplay here. And so they were saying you don't have to the, to the Ammonites. They were saying you don't have a, a malek; You have a Molech, a shameful God, a shameful king, a shameful ruler. And um to be honest that's something that's not something that I fully understand. It's something that you know you would only fully understand if you were jewish right if you drew up if you grew up in that cultural context yeah. because the way they play with words it's 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 very cultural you know it's very cultural specific and it's the same in any in any language you know it's the same way in like English how we have certain slang words that anybody else, even if they read the translation of it, they wouldn't really get it.
1: Yeah, but, like if uh, I call you bro, and somebody reads it a hundred years, it'd be like, "Oh, Eddie and Miguel are related, but that's not true." You know,
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's one of those things. So, so even the word "molek" was was just like this playful, whatever. And so, um, that that kind of comp- made things complex, even more complex than they already are. But getting back to the root word. So, in Caitlin Benedetto, De Benedetto's research and in the research done by those on the sites, we found that there were different types of um, references to this root word, mulk. And she started to realize that this root word, mulk, MLK, was not referring to a god, but was referring to a type of sacrifice. And among these nine tofets that we found, we found at least three different categories for these mulks, for these ritual burnt offerings. And I have a quote from her paper on the screen, in which I'll read. She realized that the first type of mulk was one known as mulk amor, which referred to the sacrifice of a lamb or a kid as a substitute for for uh, a child. The second is Mok Baal, which referred to the sacrifice of a Baal, the child of a of an estate-owning or wealthy mercantile family. The final type not found at Carthage is Mok D'Am or Mok Adam, which refers to the sacrifice of a commoner. So among these toffets, among these jars that contained burnt up children, there were three different types of offerings: one of just a regular child, one of a substitute for a child, and one for a rich kid. And so we started to realize, or we we started to realize that that Moloch, in in real history, in real archaeological history. It wasn't referring to a deity, but a type of sacrifice. And actually, one of the first people to realize this was a German scholar um, from the 20th century known as Otto Eisfeld. And he has an entire book on this subject. Um, I don't have the name or the title on the screen, um, but it's in German. You can look it up if you type in Otto Eisfeld, um, Moloch. But he wrote an entire book on this subject he realized this as well. He realized this way back then. He started to look at all of this and realize that there was no real Moloch in history, that Moloch or Mulk, MLK, was referring to a type of sacrifice to several deities, several random deities throughout different cultures. And uh, one of his uh, reasonings for this came from, what is known as the Nebi Yunus inscription. So the Nebi Yunus inscription coming from the third century BC is a Phoenician inscription that also used the MLK root word in reference to a child, to child sacrifice. And so basically saying that uh, this, this idea of Mulk or people sacrificing children to Mulk or a Mulk or through a Mulk was not, um, just specific to the Israelite culture that this was something that was happening um, all throughout the ancient world, and so he started to realize there was something else going on here it's bigger than the bible and it's it's not necessarily what the bible is portraying it to be and there was a lot of scholars that uh that agreed with him and many who didn't dis- who didn't agree with him because he also started to realize that the reason that at least Possibly one of the reasons why the, the writers of the Old Testament created this sort of archetype of a Moloch was to distance themselves from their very own usage of milk offerings. Mm-hmm. He believed, as we'll see in this presentation, that the early Israelites were also practicing Moloch offerings. And so they kind of created this molech, this, this god, this archetype, to be a scapegoat um, and, and to kind of uh, disassociate themselves from their very own Mulk sacrifices. And <clears throat> there's a reflection of this, or uh, yeah a reflection of this in the book, uh, in the biblical book, Zephaniah in zephaniah one five b we find this strange reference to uh mulk, which might be a glimpse of a time when the early Israelites were also practicing uh, ritual child sacrifice mm. <clears throat> in zephaniah Zephaniah at least one uh, ver- uh verse one is about God's judgment on different types of people, and in Zephaniah one b God is judging people who, and I quote here, swear by the Lord and that swear by Malcolm. And for many, many decades, uh, theologians have taken this to mean that God is condemning people who worship more than one God, who worship Yahweh, but also worship other gods. Right. But <clears throat> breaking this down by the Hebrew, we run into that root word again, MLK. And so it says... God condemns people who swear by the Lord and that swear by Mulk. And that Mulk was translated as Malcolm. But what Otto Eisfeld realized or postulated, as many other after him also um, postulated, was that maybe what they were saying was God was condemning people who swear by the Lord and that swear by the Lord by Mulk offerings. Mm-hmm. So God was condemning the worship of Yahweh, of himself, through child sacrifice, which insinuates that there was a time when the Israelites were doing that.
1: Talk about Malcolm in the middle, I'm
2: sure. Yeah, seriously. Uh, Hmm. And so there's a lot of these strange little glimpses in the Bible of a time when the early Israelites were possibly performing milk offerings to Yahweh, to God. And one of the most blatant ones is the story of Abraham and Jacob. So we're told in Genesis 22, 2, that God told Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering.
1: Yeah, that's very true.
2: So even right there at the beginning of it all, Yahweh God was was okay with this. Was okay with with uh, us burning our children. And I don't say that to, you know, condescend on the Bible or whatever. I say that so that we to so that we can realize and understand that this was normal, right? That this was normal in that ancient time. As is evident in all the stuff that we just covered, right? The ancient people of the Levant, of of the of those lands, were were okay with child sacrifice. It was normal to them. It was normal to them to offer up their children in burnt sacrifice to the gods. So the writers of the Old Testament were simply continuing the culture they grew up in, the culture that they were surrounded in. And it's reflected in these little stories like that of Abraham and Jacob.
1: Yeah. And even then, I mean, that's not the only, uh, there's other types of human sacrifices, uh, you know, that you find, uh, Joshua, he's fighting somebody sacrifices some people, uh, is either David or Saul brings the King of some, you know, he, he defeats some army, brings the King and Samuel chops him up. And sacrifices him. Of course, you've got Jephthah's daughter, who is forced to he's he's forced to sacrifice his daughter to Yahweh. So, yeah, man,
2: yeah, yeah. And so, to, this stuff so with might,
1: they sack. I'm sorry. no go ahead. The question people would might say is why was the babies. The gods just like the taste of little babies like fat bastard in the in, in the <laughs> in the movie. Uh what's his name? I already forgot. The Austin Powers Austin. or was First, it yeah. the souls better? I mean, uh, do we know or
3: oh. I know there there is like
1: blood kind of just fuels the universe, and if the universe the blood has to come back and up and down that the gods give us, but why burnt sacrifices and babies?
2: yeah there is a conclude a conclusion that i that i present towards the end but oh, okay then honestly yeah but my honest opinion is i think we're just we're just crazy you know like as humans we're just <laughs> nuts you know and we do the weirdest <laughs> things
1: <laughs> we were made and in yahweh's to- image
2: <laughs> yeah seriously I mean, uh, that's, that's my honest answer. I think we've just, we just do the weirdest things. We're very superstitious in nature. Uh, you know, like somebody said, Adrenochrome,
1: I, I, you got to put that there.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously there's that whole thing, right. You know, and that's, that's where it stems from. It's like, and that's like, that's the main argument for that is like the elite of today s are, are still like worshiping Moloch through the harvesting of Adrenochrome or whatever. You know, maybe, maybe. And to be honest, I I didn't add in any of that in here because there's not any real information I can find on that out there. It's just all speculation. But it is crazy, though. Like if we really stop and think about it, it is really crazy that our human ancestors were just throwing their babies into these like bronze statues of different gods in hopes of some sort of prosperity. I mean, it's just nuts. Whoever taught them that, whoever taught them that is crazy. And I think that's what we should be asking ourselves is who taught them that? And to be honest, it's not something that I really get into in this presentation or the documentary. But just for fun, I mean, when we look at our ancient past and we ask ourselves, well, who taught us anything to begin with? We're told by the Sumerians that we were taught everything we know by the Anunnaki, by the Mm -hmm. gods. And so whoever these Anunnaki people were, whoever these gods were at the beginning of our modern timeline, 7,000 years ago, they taught us this. And it might've been some weird sadistic form of population control.
0: Yeah.
2: You know, because... Um, even in the Sumerian epic of the flood, when Enlil decides to flood mankind, he does so because he's annoyed of us. He's literally just annoyed of us, and uh, realizes that we are sort reproducing too quickly. Actually, that's the reason why. It, well, in the Sumerian, the the in the Sumerian text, we're told that we humans were making too much noise. That's what it says. We were making too much noise and it angered the god and Lil. But some scholars have taken that to mean that we were uh reproducing a lot. Yeah. Making, well, like, making the that Odyssey, kind of
1: noise. most people think the Odyssey is about Ellen of Troy falling in love with Paris, or whatever, but it's Zeus. it's basically Zeus manufactured all because we were. We the world was becoming overpopulated and he needed to do a little eugenics. So he did this Trojan War so that that area of of the world would just exterminate itself. So I think you're on into something. We see that over and over again. And it's good that not all humans bought into this demonic stuff. I mean, the Romans hated Carthage. And one of the reasons because the Romans hated uh, child sacrifice. And you see that uh, Zoroaster banned all forms of sacrifice he Thought in four or five hundred feet, where we came 500 BC, we don't know that this was evil. And of course, Christianity, as many have said, say what you want, but uh, they said no, one sacrifice, no more sacrifice. Because even in the times of Jesus, other cultures were just yeah, <laughs> feeding yeah. souls to the gods. And with Jesus, is like one time deal, everybody's fine, so
2: <laughs> yeah there
3: may have even yeah. been a time when in during famines where um people did that um not only to try to get you know the fertility back up but because they couldn't feed the children
2: mm. yeah i mean we see that um in in the farm life you know i live on a mini farm and and that's pretty common too you know when I mean, even, even the mothers themselves would do that in nature. When they know right. that they can't take care of all the children, they'll just leave one astray or whatever, you know?
1: But I think you can breastfeed a child solely one or two years. I mean, you don't have to just, let's throw them in the pyre, you know? Yeah,
2: <laughs> seriously. Yeah, that was that little extreme.
1: No, there, I think there's something perverse, uh, some sort of deal with the devil, I think, uh, with bad aliens. Yeah, man.
2: Yeah, but. Yeah, um yeah, man. So again, right? The Bible was like the mi- the main source for this whole Moloch myth, if you will, this whole this whole Moloch archetype. But in real archaeological history, we have found a lot of evidence for crazy ritual human child sacrifice, but none of it was being done in the name of Moloch. It was all being done in the name of various gods, right. but the root word for Moloch was and being found among these sacrifices, but we now know that this root word for Moloch wasn't referring to a deity, but a type of offering. And that changes the whole narrative um, again, because now we start to look at these different mentionings in the Old Testament uh, and these different glimpses and reflections in the Old Testament um, to Moloch sacrifices as insinuating that the early israelites were also partaking in this as well and that's kind of why they wanted to create this archetype to disassociate themselves from that at least that's one explanation
1: so the good news is there is no moloch the bad news is that he's every god
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah pretty much uh but again, so so this was common in in the ancient world, right? And this was no. common, and this is why it's it was so easy for for God to say to Abraham, you know, burn your child, and that's why it was so easy for Abraham to be like, okay, sure, <laughs> because okay. The early, right? Because the early Israelites were basically a branch of Canaanites, and this is a, a topic that I've covered in my past books and other documentaries. And there's a lot of amazing other documentaries and books on this very same subject. So I'm not going to cover it too deep, but it's obvious to me as it is to many other um, scholars and researchers that the early, the early Israelites were were just another, uh, were just a branch of the Canaanites. And so they were carrying a lot of these polytheistic Anunnaki type um, rituals and traditions, And that's why pretty much the the whole entire early part of the Old Testament is God and Moses trying to get them to stop doing that. Yo, like, stop doing this. Like, we're moving towards a whole (laughs) different plan over here. And uh, one piece of evidence uh, for the Israelites being a branch of Canaanites comes from Exodus. In Exodus 6-2, God says to Moses, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to jacob as el shaddai god almighty but i did not reveal my name yahweh to them and of course el shaddai being a a rendition of the canaanite god el and el was the father of all the gods the father of all the canaanite gods and so it's obvious that these this Judaism thing, this monotheism thing was a new, a new thing that was being formulated out of that old polytheistic Anunnaki world. Makes now, perfect El, sense So, L. Um, has a huge role to play in this whole Moloch confusion as well. And actually, <clears throat> I believe that if there ever, if there, if there was a Moloch, it was probably L which makes things even weirder. Oh, wow. <laughs> so again, we're told by the Bible that the, Am- the Ammonites were the primary worshipers of Moloch. And actually, um, King Solomon eventually started worshiping Moloch. Uh, and that was a part of his downfall because he befriended the Ammonites. And I think that he like married an Ammonite daughter or something. And so for a while, the Ammonites and the Jews were one kingdom or they were, they were, um, you know, no. neighbors. Uh, but the Ammonites, as we learned, uh, never worshiped Moloch in real archaeological history. They, they only worship Milcom. And, but we've learned that Milcom was just a title, a title for their God El. There was no Milcom. They were just using that as a title for their God El, And this is evident in the fact that um, although we found some seals that have theophoric names to milcom we found so many more uh seals and references for the god l so scholars believe that milcom was just a title for their god l and what's strange is that l has always been known as the bull of heaven mm-hmm. and so this might be where this whole bull imagery began began all right because we're told that moloch was was uh, worshipped as this bull, a statue of a bull-like deity. And it's interesting how El has always been known as the bull of heaven. And this is known, for example, in an Ugaritic text known as KTU 1.12, which is up on the screen. It says, uh, Straight away turn ye your faces at the feet of El unto the bull, my father El. And, strange enough, Yahweh has also been mentioned as the bull of Jacob, for Mm -hmm. example, in Genesis 49-25. And so if we understand that the early Israelites, again, were a branch of Canaanites who were basically continuing the mythologies, continuing the traditions, uh, but beginning to change them into a more specific form, which would later become Judaism, we can now see how it is that they borrowed and copied a lot of this stuff and we can also see how and understand how el simply became yahweh through the the, the, the new judaic traditions and the new judaic philosophies and and mythologies so in other words yahweh and el are one and the same technically you know mythologically speaking religiously speaking they are two different things but mm-hmm. technically they were formulated out of the very same thing, the very same people, the same the same traditions. And that's why El is known as the bull of, he- bull of heaven, and, and that's why Yahweh is known as the bull of Jacob. They're one and the same person, one and the same God, just different perspectives, different spins. But even crazier than this is, of course, all of this, all of this Abrahamic mythological stuff and all of this Canaanite mythological stuff comes from the ancient mesopotamian mythologies having to do with the anunnaki right. and Enlil, lil right the god Enlil, who's always been like this father figure as well was also known as the bull of heaven for example in a text known as the debate between winter and summer we are told and i quote Enlil set his foot upon the earth like a great bull and lil the king of all lands and so, to answer earlier as to why were they burning their kids? Why were they doing this? Well, there's a scholar who I who I mentioned in the documentary version of this, um, known as John D. Levinson, who is a prolific uh, Hebrew and biblical scholar, studied this and r- came to the conclusion that came to the conclusion that the reason the ancients were doing this is because they were reenacting. The story of their god El and his son Baal. Mm. So apparently, in a lot of the the ancient uh, Canaanite tales of El, um, there are instances in which El sacrifices his son Baal in different ways. It's like a it's like a weird like cartoon thing of like Tom and Jerry or something.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, or like El just continually sacrifices his son. Um, You're like Kenny from
1: South Park. He just keeps coming back to life every the next episode.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly what happens. So a lot of these uh, stories, so in some weird miraculous way, Baal comes back to life, and then El rejoices with him and says, "Sorry, son, I didn't mean to do that to you." <laughs> and so that's that's Levinson's conclusion. He believes the reason that these ancient people, these ancient people, were doing this was uh, because they were reenacting these stories uh, mm-hmm. i mean geez it didn't have to be a real fire you know like it could have just yeah. been a play or something
1: well they took it seriously as above so below correspondence they felt yeah everything had to mirror each other harm harmoniously or the very universe might fall apart so they were very serious about the stuff they were very exactly. active and connected to the gods like everybody had to do had to play their role and do their thing in the grand theater.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah, man. The world's a stage.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just one big story.
2: Yeah, man. Yeah. So, so in, in my perspective, I, I think that again, if there ever was a, a Moloch, it all comes back to L and furthermore to Enlil and the Anunnaki gods, because Let's pause here for a second, right? We have the the Old Testament writers telling us that the ancient people, um, their adversaries, who are basically the old world that they were trying to disassociate with, were worshiping these bull statues and and burning their children to these bull statues. We've never found any mentions of Moloch. We've never found these bull statues, but what we have found um, throughout ancient Mesopotamia are those bull statues in iraq i i don't have any pictures of it online on, on, i pulled up oh, right uh, now but i'm sure you all know what i'm talking about right we've seen um in iraq we've seen in iraq and in, in ancient mesopotamia these statues right of uh of the i think they're called i forgot what they're called but of of those uh headed or those man-headed bull statues do you know I what i'm talking it. about yeah yeah yeah, so so in in real archaeological history, we have found statues of bull-like deities and it's it's all these like strange weird uh statues that come out of Iraq, Sumer, and Babylon and stuff like that. And all these strange bull-like statues were references to the Anunnaki, to Enki, to Enlil, to Anu, who were also known as the bulls of heaven. And so maybe the Bible was in a weird way uh, telling us that these people were sacrificing their children to the Babylonian and Sumerian Anunnaki gods, because that's that's the closest thing in history that we can actually piece together with all the evidence. And uh, not, sense. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I've always said in in my other my other books and my work is that the story of the Anunnaki is in the Bible. It's right there, but you have yeah. to read between the lines. And it is obvious that it would be right there because the people who wrote the, the Old Testament were, again, coming out of that world. They were coming out of that. So their their ancestors were the Sumerians, were the people who worshiped the Anunnaki. So they understood that way more than we could. That was their world. That was their history, as it is ours, but we just have such a, a severed, you know, tie to it. So a severed connection to it emotionally, contextually, historically, all of that. And how so about, again,
3: there's, how about Mithras? Ahead. How about Mithras and, and uh, all that stuff so you got something for us in there? Tie all this into that.
2: <clears throat> no, I didn't. I didn't find any connections along my journey to Mithras, but it is interesting how Mithras is kind of the reverse, right? He sacrifices the he bull. He kills
1: the bull. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, so there's something to that. I don't cover it in this presentation, but in the documentary version, I cover a a few other mythologies having to do with the bull. For example, again, going back to Talos, the Greek god, he wasn't depicted as a bull, but he was depicted as a a bronze man in which people were sacrificed to. But then we also have the minotaur, right? The Greek minotaur. Oh, yeah. um, Who children were sacrificed to, people were sacrificed to. And what's right. interesting is that the mythology, the story of the Minotaur, is that um, the people were sacrificed to him in in payment for their killing of King Minos's son, I believe. And King Minos uh, was the son of a Phoenician queen, or remember. something like that. So there was so King Minos, the Minotaur, and all that was connected to the Phoenicians, the Phoenician royalty. So it's interesting how again, these Phoenicians, these Canaanites are tied to a bull god in which humans, specifically children, were sacrificed to and there's another uh piece of evidence that I cover in the video having to do with a artifact known as the Pozo Moro statue so there's there's a statue thing that we found in Pozo Moro, Spain, that has this strange depiction of a sacrifice happening. And in that depiction, we find again this like bull deity. This is bull deity in this depiction. There's no, there's no writing or anything. It's just this imagery of these kids being sacrificed to this bull god. And so we found that strange statue in Pozomoro, Spain, but there's nothing else like really around it or anything. The only thing that, that is interesting about it that can connect it to all of this is that it was found in an area that at once was occupied by Phoenicians. And so, again, it kind of all comes back to the Phoenicians and, and uh, who they were and all of that. And, again, they, they were a branch coming out of the old Anunnaki worship. They, they pretty much were the first, the Canaanites in general, were the first to kind of like take the Anunnaki mythology and then flip it into their own thing, which the later Greeks and Romans and, and uh, Jews did as well. But the Phoenician and Canaanite part of it, that part of history, uh, was very influential, very influential in the rest of the Abrahamic and even pagan mythological development. But the development of the Phoenician Canaanite uh, mythologies uh, came from the Sumerian. And so that's the piece that like pretty much is the rock, the bedrock of all of it. So, yeah, so this bull god, right? So so in my, in my thought, this bull god was none other than El, was none other, none other mm-hmm. than Enlil, the Anunnaki that people were throwing their children into fire for. But what makes it all crazy, right, is that the, own, our, the Bible itself gives us glimpses that insinuate that the Israelites, the early Israelites at least, were also partaking in this form of worship, which was known as a mulk which again, a mulk was not a deity, but a type of offering that the ancient world was uh, performing. And uh, what's what's pretty wild is that, again, as I, as I covered, Abraham was about to perform a mulk for Yahweh because Yahweh commanded it. But what's even crazier is that Yahweh himself in essence, performed a mulk sacrifice in front of the entire world when he sacrificed his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ. And so, again, that was very common to him, very common to the ancient world, to sacrifice your children for the greater good.
1: Maybe there's no escape, even with the gods.
2: <laughs> yeah, and so that's what I meant when I started this presentation by saying that Alex Jones was was right but also wrong. He was right uh or he was wrong in saying that the people at Bohemian Grove were worshiping Moloch and and sacrificing to Moloch because there was no mention of Moloch throughout the ritual, there was no statue of Moloch, but he was right because now we know that there never was a Moloch, that Moloch was actually a type of offering. So these people at Bohemian Grove, um, by technicality, are and, and were uh, performing a Moloch sacrifice, a Moloch sacrifice. But, uh, Makes
1: sense. Yeah, Alex, yeah, there's no Moloch, but yeah, go when, when you open the Bible you love so much, you'll see that Moloch there. <laughs> a lot of Molochs.
2: <laughs> yeah, man. But uh, that that's pretty much it. That's that that, that is the grand discovery. Of that Roland. was excellent. That and was good work.
1: Excellent. Yeah, disturbing but definitely eye-opening and yeah, fascinating and I'm glad the truth is out. I mean, we can judge all we want, but that's not going to make a difference. We 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 got our own stuff to deal with and we allow a lot of horrible things to happen in our society, but I'm glad we got out of that age of the bull into the age of what Aries where animal sacrifice became more common into the age of Aquarius where, uh, Pisces, sorry, where things are, you know, a little bit better when it comes to the bloodshed.
3: And we're sacrificing the air now with smog and pollution.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Aquarius. Yeah. We're just going (laughs) to, the whole planet. Yeah, that was really good. I have a few questions, but maybe uh, Vance, you or the Chatico, or I see a lot of great puns as I'm looking there. Like, yeah. I got a, I got a pair of brass balls or stuff. Really <laughs> funny puns that the chat has. So. All sorts.
3: I haven't seen that. Oh, there is one. Uh, there was one um, thing. It's not a question, but um, Sarastic Warlock wanted you to check out this book called golem unless you already oh. have it by moshe idell i'm
2: going to write that down right now yeah it
3: says you'll dig it A wild okay. picture of history sounds just like something that you'd enjoy okay, okay. Yeah, thank, thank, thank you, you for, for the that super yeah yeah thanks yes sarcastic warlock not
1: and not chester for the, give thanks, us sure. i see and we no, got thank we got, you so much
3: yeah I'm sorry. I know we're, we're doing go. it. That's I know. <laughs> Infinitum
1: <laughs> Neo, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, Eddie's always uh, good research. Um, and it's interesting, too, because I know um, – of uh, somebody, I love your work, Eddie, but I also love Dan McClellan, McClellan's work. I follow both <laughs> of you, and I learn so much. And I know you made it to one of his oh, – all right, let's see it. He called you out on something. But he didn't call you out on the Moloch thing. It was, what, the, uh, the Anunnaki
2: thing that he called you out? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun to watch. And um, honestly, I don't get offended. I think it's just it's cool. It's good um, for us to, to challenge each other. Yeah. But, yeah, he called me out on um, one of the Anunnaki things. And actually, two people have called me out on that thing. One was him and then another guy who's pretty big as well that does oh. similar work as him, known as Inspiring Philosophy. Do you know that guy?
1: I'm not not familiar with him, now.
2: Yeah, he's like the same as McClellan, does the same works and stuff. And they both called me out on that same clip uh, (laughs) where I talk about the Elohim. I talk about how the Elohim in Genesis are the Anunnaki. And they use pretty much the same argument. They're like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about, that the Elohim is plural in Genesis because that's referring to the divine council. And I thought that was a funny response because that basically uh validates what I'm saying. Because the true theologian, the true Christian theologian would try to argue that Elohim the plurality in Elohim is, is uh is mistaken, and that the plurality of Elohim in Genesis when man is being created is actually just God talking to Jesus. Or God talking to the angels, but the yeah. fact that they used the divine council as a response, I thought was funny because the the idea of the divine council all comes from the Canaanite mythologies. The divine council is, yeah. is a specific uh, Canaanite polytheistic mythological mythological tradition, and so they were just validating what I was saying, which was that the Elohim in Genesis is plural because it's coming out of the polytheistic Canaanite worldview, which eventually leads back to the Anunnaki. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, you have to, (laughs) it's hard to argue that the Sumerians didn't influence all these religions. And again, of course, the Jews ended up in Babylon. And there was a lot. The Babylonian religion was still very influenced by the Sumerians. Obviously, Zoroastrianism and other were there, but the, you know, <laughs> Marduk was big in Babylon, and some of these old gods. So it would have influenced them.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's like a big game of telephone. I just put that in the chat, you know, uh, like it starts out, let's say the Sumerians, and then the message mutates and the names of the God mutate, and then it gets translated into another language and that changes it. And you know, I think uh, what you presented tonight is a good example of that, the way things, you know, the filling in the different vowels, because, you know, Hebrew didn't have vowels. So, you know, it's just like things get distorted, you know, there's a signal to noise uh, thing going on. Yeah. We got another uh, super chat from Sarcastic Warlock, uh, in which he just wants to tell you he spent five dollars to tell you, uh, you to check out Atlantis, Edda, and Bible by Herman Wieland from nineteen twenty-four.
2: Writing that down right now: Atlantis, Edda, and Bible. Yeah. Okay.
3: Thank you, Sarcastic.
2: Well, here's a question
3: I
1: have for you, Eddie. When in Judaism or with the Hebrews, when did child sacrifice or just sacrifice in general go out the door?
2: Uh, I believe was it was after, it the Greeks
1: or who forced them? Uh, usually it's an outside force.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't know the time in actual history, but I know in the biblical story, it, it ended, uh, I believe, with the downfall of King Solomon. Because he oh, was the one I, who actually... Yeah, because he actually instituted it like into, into the kingdom, uh, which was pretty wild. Like he actually allowed it to happen like within the kingdom. Like the actual like
1: Does it say that in the Bible? Kingdom. Does he say he allowed sacrifice? Or are you just talking about the gods because he was very polytheistic? That's what most people Yeah, know.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I have to brush up on that part, but I know for sure that he was worshipping Moloch and if he was worshiping, worshiping Moloch, then I'm sure he was doing it the same way all of them were doing it. Unfortunately,
1: yeah, yeah. So then David, and afterwards, it sort of, sort of goes out. And at the time, obviously, Jesus would be horrified. Most Jews would have <laughs> been horrified in those days of about something yeah. like
2: that. Yeah, and that's probably why Jesus used Gehenna as like such like a, a such a vile no. reference for the afterlife that would be for sinners.
1: And you've seen obviously those uh, beyond Alex Jones. There's that uh, statue in the Vatican that's pretty scary that everybody thinks it's Moloch. Have you seen that? That's another yes, fucking conspiracy theory. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Weird like golden one where it's like supposed to be Jesus coming out of hell or something.
1: <laughs> it's this monster on top of this throne or something. Yeah.
2: This looks like somebody spilled like chocolate milk or something. Just like yeah, yeah, it on the, the wall.
3: Oh, is this yeah, that yeah. picture they have where the Pope's sitting in there and there's this huge thing in in back of him? It looks like uh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. It's not really that big, though, isn't it? They just blew it up to make it look like a huge backdrop, like and uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah.
2: Know. yeah. But again, it's not it's not Moloch, right? It's like we use a lot of these terms like Moloch, Baphomet, Illuminati, which are all things that I've deconstructed and shown uh, the true history of. But we use a lot of that stuff like. To, to just explain things away in generalities, um, but it's not it's not Moloch. It's something weirder than that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, it,
3: there might be something to this. The sound of a particular name in a language carries its own energy, and Moloch it just sounds like horrible. You know, it sounds like something abominable. L, so I thought, oh L you know, second so L, you know, <laughs> yeah, and Baphomet, you know, I always say splash splash, I'm a taking a bath from it. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, I mean you're, you're right, that's exactly why the uh, the Israelites created the word molech, because as I was, I was saying, they did that playfully uh, to the Ammonites. They're saying you don't have a molech, you have a molech, right? Like a shameful god. Mm-hmm.
3: Which brings up the other subject that I bet you know about this uh, vowel sounds. You know they uh, they're you know the legends of angelic languages that are strictly vowel sounds, and mm. the the vowel sounds have different energies. And it's interesting that Hebrew didn't have vowels, and you had to put the vowels in when you spoke it, and that's kind of an interesting um, scenario there,
2: because you could take yeah. a word
3: and make it have different kinds of energies by adding the different vowels in.
2: Yeah, no, I haven't heard too much about that. But now that you say it, it is kind of like, like the the Hebrew script was meant to be kind of like a, a code, right? And then if you had the right vowels to plug into the the words, it would change the context. It change the context mm-hmm. of what's being said.
3: Yeah. Like Yahweh didn't have any vowels in it, Y-H-V-H, or whatever that trans, translates into Hebrew lettering. Uh, um, and uh, maybe that's why you can't pronounce his name, because you don't know what the vowels are.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should just try all of them. Just like, I don't know what the combination would be, but we should just <laughs> go on a, um, one of those things they used to do where like they stayed on TV for hours and hours on end. Those things, we should just do one of those. Test Let's, pattern? figure uh, out. Yeah, I don't know when they would like fundraise. You know they fundraise. Oh, telethons. Yeah, telethons! yeah, telethons. We should do a telethon. Let's Gary try Lewis. every vowel combination until God <laughs> comes down and strikes us.
3: Yeah, interesting.
1: Or maybe he's like, was it that that villain that Superman had to fight? This wizard, and he had to get him to say his name backwards, Mister P- oh,
3: Mister Mixy Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: that was it. He, the only way Superman could defeat him by, was telling by having him say his name backwards because he was some, he was from another dimension and he was invulnerable. So maybe mm-hmm. that's it. Maybe Yahweh wants us to trick him into saying his his name backwards or something
3: like rumpled right? <laughs> that's yeah. another one.
1: That's another one. Well, Although yeah, Mr.
3: Minsky he had he had a Y, the letter Y in his name. So in theory, that was kind of a Vowel Y is a kind of a. Unofficial vow, let's say. Mm-hmm.
1: Honorary Very, Yeah, an honor. Well, awesome. Well, this has been really eye opening and exciting. And you have the documentary version on your channel right now, or are you working on it?
2: Oh, yeah. No, it's already out. You can go watch it. Yeah.
1: Okay. And I'll have it on the show notes. But for those who are listening in audio here or when I put out the audio version, where, where, where do you want them to go to find out more? Your YouTube channel or where else?
2: Yeah, you can uh you can find all my videos on YouTube at Esoteric Eddie TV. Um you can follow me on Instagram where I also post a lot of random content, serious, some not so serious. Yeah, I noticed. At, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at Esoteric Eddie, I am a person too, all right? <laughs> not always <laughs> not always this serious. <laughs>
1: Well, you have to have a sense of humor. This stuff really could depress you, right? Drive you crazy. Oh, yeah,
2: man. Seriously. Uh, But you can also find uh, merch and like my books and stuff um, and blogs at my website at com. Yeah. And
1: all his books are excellent on the Anunnaki, on Lucifer. Yeah. Just get his books. I have his books, and they always have a good place when I need to, you know, do some research about the ancient times and the shenanigans of the gods and all these other cray cray beans back then not that we're much better looking at the state of our planet but you know
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: and um yeah i well again i think that's it unless somebody has one last question again uh, glad the chat was not the Chitico tonight yeah uh, <clears throat> everybody that's was great. having a good time and everybody had some great puns so bless you bless you Uh, What was I going to say? Yeah, uh, next week we will have David Block. He's going to give us, again, we'll go left-hand path to some dark gods the day after Thanksgiving, because if you're going to be a Gnostic, get get into that weird stuff right after Thanksgiving. Should be fun. And this show, of course, will be out on Rockfin Audio and all other podcasters um, by tomorrow. The only thing I wanted to say, I did want to dedicate this show uh, have you guys noticed there's usually a black cat there? Uh, his name was Ringo, named him after the Beatles. Cat for 15 years, slept on my feet for 15 years, was always around me. He didn't come for his food, he always had two favorite places sleep by my feet, or he had a place outside in the porch, underneath the porch, where he would watch. Uh, animals and cars go by, so of course I knew what had happened. Went out this afternoon, and he was—he had decided to uh, transform to the other world, and that's how cats are. Fifteen years old, they decide they've had enough. They're going to the spirit world, and they go somewhere where they like, and they just give up the ghost. So I—I I, I dug a hole right there where he loved—where uh, he loved watching, and I dug up the hole, and there he is now. So. I'd like to dedicate this show to Ringo. I know some of you may say, well, it's a cat, but there's suddenly a void, an energy form, an aura, a spirit that was in my life is no longer there. And uh, I'd like to honor Ringo. And I'd like to tell you, please uh, be grateful for your animals, for your friends, for your children, for anything, because uh, it goes by quickly. And uh, yeah those Those voids cannot uh those voids cannot be replaced in Indra's net. death is an illusion he's with the greatest source. We all go back to the source we all see each other and our those our loved ones in time beyond time because linear time is a complete lie, but our egos fools us so wanted to dedicate this show to Ringo, I miss him a lot, and uh it's gonna be a long night for me. But that's it. I uh, thank you for everybody for being here. Eddie, uh, thank you so much as always. You rock, man. Yeah, just thank, you.
2: thank you. Good to see and you all.
1: And Vance, thank you very much for uh, taking care of the Chitico.
3: Okay, nothing to do tonight, Miguel, and my condolences for Ringo. May he rest with the aeons.
1: Thank you. He is. He's fine. Again, death is an illusion. We just need to change our perspective. But Yep. Still stings. It still stings down here it's in the still, meat We still world.
3: feel the loss.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and the kids is hard. First time the uh. kids have lost, love experienced. Oh, they're old enough to understand death. Their first pet dying, so they're all over. They're mm. all over the place. So, but such it is. All right. Well, everybody's uh, again. It's a joyful thing remembering people, keeping them alive, keeping our animals alive is a joyous thing. It's a celebration. Lives would be a celebration. Children should be a celebration and they should not die. Sacrifice in wars uh, of hunger out in the streets. So let's go anti-Moloch. And for everybody, please enjoy the rest of your Mercury Day. And as I always say, uh, write your own gospel, live your own myth. Take care, everybody.
3: Down here, I don't mean a big reduction in the price of beer, but all the people that you meet make-